Good afternoon. Welcome back to the podcast. I want to talk today about the Bible, and our conversation today isn't as much getting into uh, the literature of the Bible, although that is something we are going to get to and spend a lot of time on in this particular series. Um, <clears throat> but I want to talk today about the practicals of the Bible and just sort of set the stage with a conversation about what the Bible is in order that as we continue to talk about this and we talk about the um, convictions we have about the Bible, we have a common understanding of the sort of practical pieces. And so today's conversation is about the practicals of the Bible. And really what I'm getting at is when, when we talk about the documents, the book, the whatever, what, what, ex- what exactly is the Bible? So most of us as Christians, and this is probably especially true of evangelical Christians, will say that the Bible is God's word. Now, when we use this kind of terminology as Christians, we're typically indicating something about the Bible relating to its origin, its authority, and its authenticity. God's word is a way of talking about the spiritual realities and the truth of the Bible according to those spiritual realities. But practically speaking, the Bible is a really simple thing. It's a collection of books or texts. I'm going to use the word texts because some of the things that are collected are oracles or letters or passages of poetry or lyrics to songs and uh, things like that. And so we have a set of texts. Some of those texts are sub-collections, like the writing prophets. The texts of the writing prophets are collections of oracles by the writing prophets. And the Psalms and the Psalter is a collection of poems set to music. Practically speaking, the Bible's really simple. It's a collection of religious texts. The texts of the Bible are religious in nature and in content. They span a great deal of time, both in their compositions and in the content that they cover. This large collection of texts breaks out into two groups of smaller collections. First, chronologically speaking, is what we call the Old Testament, or I'm going to call it the First Testament, because I like to emphasize the First and New Testaments as two movements of the same overarching story. Many Christian scholars today refer to the First Testament as the Hebrew Bible because it is the scriptures still in use by many Jewish communities today. It seems to be the scriptures that were in use during Jesus' day. We're going to get into a little bit of of that later, but By all accounts and by everything that we can tell, the 39 texts of the Old Testament or the First Testament were the texts in use in Jewish synagogues for people like Jesus to pick up the scrolls and read. The second collection in this two-part collection is is primarily concerned with Jesus Christ. His connections to the First Testament and the church that Jesus establishes. We need to remember that these two collections, according to Christian tradition and teaching, testify to and about the same God, his work in the world, and his relationship with 
humanity. Scripture as a large two-part collection of texts is religious, but it contains information about history, science, mathematics. The Bible is more of a narrative, culminating in the person and work of Jesus Christ than it is a guide to faith, life, and practices of the Christian faith. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible does not provide us with a guide to life, faith, and the practices of our Christian faith. That's not what I'm saying. It does, but the Bible seems to be more of a narrative with Jesus as the central focus of the narrative than it does... It seems to be more of a narrative with Jesus as the central focus than it seems to be a kind of simple guidebook. And I think we're oversimplifying at that point what the Bible is and we're misrepresenting the, the real point of the genres and the texts and the narrative arc, Genesis to Revelation. So the Bible is a, is a set of religious texts, collection of religious texts in two parts. First and a new. It spans millennia and lots of genres, and it consists of at least 66 texts that are primarily oriented around a narrative with Jesus Christ as its central focus. Historically speaking, excuse me, historically speaking, the church has always agreed that the 66 texts of First and New Testaments are inspired by God and authoritative then for Christians. However, the church has also historically had other texts known to the Jews of the Greek period between the Testaments at its disposal. So, between the two Testaments, there is a collection of Greek-produced texts. And there are about 15 texts in this collection. Okay. And this is called the Apocrypha. These texts are written in Greek. Between the close of what seems to be the last Hebrew text, somewhere around 400 BC, and the opening of the New Testament texts with the Gospel of Matthew. Historically, these texts have been considered deuterocanonical, fancy word for meaning second canon, and they've been useful for the church. However, they haven't always been or even necessarily been considered authoritative, especially for setting doctrine or continuing the narrative from first to New Testaments as focused on Jesus Christ. The Apocrypha has historical information. It has theological reflections. There are some additions written in Greek to Hebrew books of Esther and Daniel, to the Hebrew books of Esther and Daniel. There are various poetic and apocalyptic texts. The texts of the Apocrypha provide us with a good deal of insight for how the Jews understood their world in what we call the Second Temple Period and on into the time of Jesus and the Church, which for a good bit of time in the first century up until about 8070 is still technically part of the second temple period. However, there are pieces of these writings, this apocrypha, this deuterocanonical set. There are, there are pieces of these writings that do not maintain consistency 
with the First and the New Testaments in terms of history and theology. The Roman Catholic Church holds to seven of these texts as useful and prints them as the Apocrypha in their Bibles. Now, it either gets printed in the Old Testament, divided out amongst the First Testament texts, or in a separate section between the two Testaments. Some Catholic doctrines grow from places in the Apocrypha that then they link to places in First or New Testaments, like that of praying for or on behalf of the dead. The Eastern Orthodox Church maintains all 15 of these apocryphal texts and prints them, to my knowledge, much like the Roman Catholic Church does in their Bibles. So Protestants only have 66 books because of so much of the Reformation voice and how much that Reformation voice called for these texts to be set aside in favor of the books the church has always agreed are inspired and authoritative. And so Protestant Bibles have 66 books. Roman Catholic Bibles, with their additional seven, have 71 texts, if you include the Apocrypha. And Eastern Orthodox texts, sorry, uh, Roman Catholic Bibles have 73 texts. So Protestant Bibles have 66. Roman Catholic Bibles have 73, and the Eastern Orthodox Bibles with the additional 15 of their apocryphal set have 81 texts printed. Now, Protestants will challenge the Roman Church or the Eastern Church with adding the Apocrypha into the canon of Scripture. And the Roman and the Eastern Churches will argue that the Protestants removed it from the canon. Now, canon here means rule or measure, and it's used in literature, or in the Bible in this case, to indicate that which has authority for a given subject or a literary series. Like anything written by George Lucas is canon for the Star Wars saga. History tells us that the books of the Apocrypha were really neither added nor subtracted until the formalities of the Protestant Reformation and the Roman Council of Trent in 1545. Here's a little backstory. Around the year 8037, Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, uh, writes his historical accounts of things that have taken place throughout Jewish histories and especially between the Testaments. And his accounts include references to a complete Jewish canon of scripture what we call the 39 books of the Old or First Testament, which means by the time we get to the first century AD, there seems to be a set collection of First Testament texts that the Jews have and are using consistently and consider to be Scripture. Holy and inspired writings. Now, by the second century AD, there is a set collection of New Testament documents from which, from which the church is drawing for teaching, life, faith, the story of the Bible, and the authoritative message or gospel of the church. We get those texts copied and, and re-quoted and letters and things like that, and there are all kinds of documentation to, to, to back that up. In AD 367, Athanasius of Alexandria produces a formal list of New Testament texts, and in AD 397, the formal list of the 27 New Testament texts is set at the Council of Carthage. At the time of the setting of the New Testament canon, the Apocrypha was considered deuterocanonical and seen as useful and helpful for the Church. 
Those documents remained available as useful and helpful for the church until they were challenged by the reformers of the 16th century. During the Protestant Reformation, new Protestant leaders and churches dropped the Apocrypha from the life of the church. Now, it seems to stay around in certain academic circles, but it's not openly available to the public. Countering the voice of Martin Luther and company, the Roman Catholic Church held the Council of Trent and discussed a way forward from the Reformation and the splits of the Protestant churches. At that time, the Catholic Church seems to formally limit their use of the apocryphal texts to the seven maintained today. So, in 397, we get an agreement on 27 New Testament texts that go with the Old Testament texts, the 39 books of the First Testament. And from that moment forward, we have 66 texts that are universally agreed on in the church, and somewhere between 7 and 15, 0 and 15, that others in the church are using as helpful and useful along the way. But they're not necessarily authoritative or mandatory. Scripture, or the Bible, has always been understood to be composed of the 66 texts of New and First Testaments. First Testament texts were adopted into the church since the church grew out of the synagogues of Jewish communities following Jesus the Messiah. The 27 New Testament texts were written connected to an apostle in the same stream of theology and the narrative arc of the First Testament and composed before the close of the first century AD. From the start of the church, Christians have always agreed on the 66 books with which Protestants are familiar. The texts of the Apocrypha has, have always been useful and helpful, but not necessarily authoritative. Today, the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches maintain some or all of these texts in their printed canons of the Bible. However, it's my understanding those texts are still considered deuterocanonical. They're useful and they're helpful, but they may not carry the same kind of weight as the 66 that have been agreed on from the get-go. Now, this is interesting. At least it's interesting to me. There are three options for sort of Christian canons. There's the Protestant canon that I think most of us are familiar with, 66 books. There's the Roman Catholic canon, which is 73, 66 books of First and New Testament, and seven texts from the Apocrypha. And the Eastern Orthodox canon, which is 81 texts, the 66 of Old or First and New Testaments, and 15 texts in the Apocrypha. The church has always agreed on 66. And this is the thrust of individuals like Martin Luther and others in the Protestant Reformation. These texts have always been the texts we have agreed upon for life of the church, for the life of the church. These other Greek written texts seem out of place with the Hebrew world of the First Testament. And they're not yet in the place of the Greek speaking world 
of Jesus Christ. And so Protestant reformers dropped those as they pressed against doctrines in the Roman church. Because some teachings and doctrines were growing out of those texts in the Apocrypha. And so now we have this sort of tension. 66 texts for Protestants, 73 texts for Roman Catholics, 81 texts for Eastern Orthodox Christians. Really, all of us as Christians agree on 66 texts. First, and New Testaments. And that the Apocrypha is helpful, but it may not be authoritative for life and faith. This is just kind of a practical simple and very quick overview of the Bible as far as what it is in terms of practical documentation. We'll pick up next time with some of this idea about the Word of God and what exactly we mean when we talk about the Scripture as the Word of God. I hope this was helpful. Until next time.